We have a riveting interview with the mother who escaped the Kingston Polygamy Group next on Polygamy. What love is this? Our guest this time is a lady from the Kingston Polygamy Group. She fled the group in 2012 after her husband informed her that he wanted another wife. She's found life outside of the polygamy group much different than they said it would be. And so to tell her story, we would like to introduce and welcome Melissa Ellis. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. You've got quite a story to tell. And I'm excited to talk about all the things that's going on in your life now and a lot of the challenges that you've overcome, overcome since you left. Uh, it takes courage sometimes to speak out, and I think it's something you have learned after coming out, and now you're just talking all over the place. <laughs> Currently, yes. <laughs> right now, yeah. You told me that as you got closer and closer to making the decision to get out, that you would watch our show, and it kind of helped you in your decision to leave, even though people around you at that time were saying that we were just telling nothing but a pack of lies. Yeah. Uh, so speaking out helped you, didn't it? Speaking Definitely out Definitely. helped, helped me a lot. So we speaking out will help someone else. I hope so, yes. And, and that's one of the reasons we do this. Uh, many people have said to me and to others who have escaped polygamy that you're so courageous. You are so courageous to do what you do, what you did. And I always say I wasn't courageous. I was desperate. I wasn't courageous at all. What would you explain your decision uh, to leave? Would you explain it as being courageous or desperate or rebellious or adventurous or or what would you say you're? A lot more desperate in the moment, but afterwards being able to keep moving on and keep pushing forward was more of being courageous, I guess. But it, it was a lot of being desperate and knowing that I needed to protect myself and my children. And your children especially, yes. And, and in, in leaving... It's not, it's not quite what they say it'll be, you know. If you leave, you're going to live a miserable life and and threaten you with all kinds of things that will happen to you, and you'll just want to come back and you can't, and so on. It wasn't like that at all. But we do face challenges yeah. after we leave. So those challenges are some of the things that we're going to talk about. And, okay. uh, but we don't want people to fear leaving just because they're going to face challenges. And now, when I left, there was no helps. There were no helps anywhere to help. Now there are. And that makes it easier for people to leave as well. Yeah. Um, what were your greatest fears to face when you left? When you made the decision to leave, you had fears. What were your greatest fears? Well, being able to take care of my children, being raised in the group I was raised in, I was always told where to work. I always thought that, you know, I wouldn't have a job unless, you know, someone gave me a job that I didn't earn. And I learned right away that I had a lot of skills that were valued and I got a job within a month mm -hmm. of leaving mm -hmm. and was able to take my kids with me. Um, I worked at a daycare and they were my priority. Yes. And so I was yes. afraid to lose them. I was afraid something to happen to my children and that I couldn't provide, provide for them. But being able to have them with me and to provide for them at the same time was, was a godsend to me. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> 
people have called me and talked to me and, and maybe we've met for lunch or whatever, and they'll say, if I decide to leave, how can you help? And so I will ask, what do you mean by if? Why would you choose not to leave? And they would always have two or three answers. Two of the answers always, I'm afraid to go to hell and I'm afraid I'll lose my family. And another one was, I'm afraid to be alone. I'm afraid what's going to happen to me when I leave. Did you have those fears? Were you afraid of going to hell for running away from God's only true church on the planet? Well, it took me years of feeling that way. I, I knew something wasn't right for years. Mm -hmm. And I prayed about it for years. And I prayed harder about it in the few months before I left. And so when I left... I didn't feel the fear of going mm -hmm. to hell, mm -hmm. but it, it took years to get over that fear. Um, losing my family, definitely. I have a sister that's older than me that left, and my mom still talks to her, but my dad doesn't say two words to her. Mm. He's basically just disowned her, oh, and I was afraid of sad. that happening to me. And, you know, of course, my kids, my kids being taken away from me because I had seen it done to other girls that had oh, left that... Yeah their children got taken away from them. And that that was more of my fears, my kids not right, being with exactly. me. Um, after you left, how long was it before you felt the freedom to speak publicly about coming out of the Kingston Polygamy Group? It's just been recently. It's I think it was February was the first time that I... Just a couple just, of months ago. Just a couple of months ago. Hmm. So from 2012 to... This year, 2019, I really just kept quiet. I wanted to be with my kids, but I've known for a little while I needed to start speaking that yeah. something isn't right and I need to protect my children more from the abuses that happen in the group, even though they're not there all the time. They're just there part of the time when they go to their dad. <laughs> so when I was still there in the group, and we're a generation apart, so it was a lot of years ago, um, we were threatened, don't talk about what's going on in the group. If anybody ever says anything that gets anybody in trouble that's in the group or or gets the group in trouble, you will go to hell and you will become a devil, you'll become a demon, you'll become a son of perdition, you'll never get forgiveness, you'll have never have a chance of being forgiven if you say anything about what's going on in the group. Did they teach you things like that? They, they did. They taught us. I went to public school and they taught us you leave your school friends at school. Mm -hmm. You don't talk to them about anything that's not school related. And they did teach us, you know, if you spoke bad against the, the church after you left, that you were going to hell, that it wasn't a God thing to do. And it wasn't a good thing to do. So was and, that one reason that you felt fear about talking about the, about these things? Um, not really. After I left, I just wanted to be able to have an open, you know, still have a relationship with my family. Mm -hmm. After a few months after I left, they did start talking to me again, and I have had a relationship with them until recently. And so I just didn't talk because I wanted to keep that relationship open. Okay. But, all right. That's good. It's better than having all the fears that, yeah. that uh, took me 25 years to get over those fears. Yeah. Um, I, I thought uh, maybe we'd let our viewers know that we are related. Your maiden name is Hanson, and of course my name is Hanson. Your grandfather and my mother are siblings, and your your father is my first cousin. Yeah. Uh, your father is an attorney, and he's still in the Kingston Group. Correct. 
Okay. Uh, when, when I, again, when I was still there, the Hanson name was not an elite name. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we were not highly um, um, respected, I should say. Okay. Um, is your father... He's an attorney. He's, a, he's got an elite job. Is he? Is it any different now in the Kingston Group with the Hanson family? Not really. I mean, the Hanson name is still low on the totem pole, if you will. But um, when it came to girls, because my parents had eight girls before they Ooh, had another dream. boy. Yeah. And so when it came time for the girls getting older, then we were invited to more things, you know, and it's time to get married. You oh, know, everybody okay. wants to, they're girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> girls are sought after. They're That's not a commodity, <laughs> betcha. And so my, my brothers are in their 20s and still live at home. <laughs> but my sister that's 19, she's she's been married for a year. In the group? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, of course, having yeah. that many girls, that puts you a little higher up, but but not so much. Yeah. Not just because he's an attorney, that doesn't mean that, anything. That hasn't put the name up any higher in that no. totem pole. No. Okay. Now, I know that your uh, grandfather, my uncle, was not a polygamist. Okay. There was a little bit of pressure for him, too, but he never did go into it. What about your father? Is he a polygamist? He's not. He's only married to my mother. And my question would be, and I don't know if you have this answer, uh, but when you belong to a polygamy group, you are in it because polygamy is required by God. In order to get to the celestial glory, highest degree, and all this kind of Mormon stuff, you have to be a polygamist. And some polygamy groups say you have to have three wives mm-hmm. in order to qualify. And yet they remain in the group. Your grandfather did, your dad has, and they're not polygamists. How do they reconcile that? Well, my, my grandpa left, so right. he, he, but, he, but he was still in the group was. when he refused to be a polygamist. Yeah, and then my dad, I know my parents talked to a few girls to join their family, but they just were never chosen. They, I mean, they were low on the totem pole, of course. And so it just never worked out for them from what the stories that I was told. Mm-hmm. But I... I don't know. My mom might have had something to do with it. I'm not sure. <laughs> now, your mother didn't grow up in the group, did she? She didn't. So she was from the outside. Your your father married her and brought her in. Correct. So she wasn't raised with this brainwashing that we were raised with. No, so that she could wasn't. be that she was a little bit. Yeah, but then I think also him having the daughters <laughs> yeah. might have, might have something to do with being in the group. If you're able to produce children, yeah. especially it, girls, yeah, especially yeah. girls, and they. You know, not everybody lives that way. There's not enough women to go around, and most of them are the Kingstons that have the wives. Not... Kingstons are the name. Yeah. The name. Exactly yeah. right. Um, <clears throat> so let's start from the beginning of your story. When you were a child growing up in the polygamy group, what impact did the group have on you? What kind of teachings? Tell us about your home life. Uh, did you have a good childhood? Was it abusive or nice and fun? And Just kind of start from the beginning. Well, when I was born, my parents lived in Bountiful, and I I remember at a young age going to church and singing, and I always liked to sing, and someone told me that I had a beautiful voice, and so that was something in my my childhood and my teen years, it's something that I always did. I always sang, and that always brought me comfort, Mm. and um, my parents, they did spank us. They did spank us with spoons and belts, and I think that was what a lot of parents did growing up. 
and I don't necessarily think that that has done um, anything mental to me. Like some people say <laughs> that getting spanked caused them trauma. Right. I don't think that that did anything that way to me. Um, when I became a teenager is when we started being more social, going to more dances and hanging out the with other families. Group dances yeah, and the polygamy group activities. dances. Yeah, which my <laughs> husband. <laughs> my husband calls them the pedo dances because when you go it is a lot of older men dancing with young girls it really is especially married mm -hmm. men dancing with teenage yeah. and young girls my girls are nine and ten now and they go to those dances with their dads and they tell me who they dance with and wow. the dances they got to do and I I just say I hope you had fun yeah. <laughs> that's what I, I want them to have fun I want them to enjoy their life but do but they yeah. realize that they're being looked over in that probably I, not unless your dad said something to them yeah they they probably don't and I just try to be careful about what I right, say right, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah so we went to those dances and I got to know different people in different families and um, when I was 16 was the first time I got engaged. So growing up, in the, I think it to was... To a guy in the group. To a guy in the group. Was he married? He was not at the time when I got engaged <clears throat> to him. But he got engaged to somebody else while he was engaged to me and didn't tell me. <laughs> Sounds like Joseph Smith. <laughs> so my mom did allow me to call it off. I was, I was physically sick and oh, depressed over it. So she told me that it wasn't done correctly, that I could call it off if I wanted. Oh, good for her. So, I mean, I think before that it was pretty normal. I, um, I did have a job at 13 and I, I wanted it. Mm -hmm. I did help my dad and his um, law firm a little bit, filing things for him, but mm -hmm. I wasn't one that was forced at a very young age to go to school. I think that had a lot more to do with my mom. I think a lot of our normalish childhood had to do with my mom not being raised in That's it. That's good. And she wanted That's us to nice. get our education and <clears throat> things like that. So you went to all the polygamy group social activities as well as church meetings and yes. all of that. Yeah. Um, so it, it was good that your mother was not... But see, my mother was not raised in polygamy either. They were one of the first among the yeah. first members, um, her mother and dad were there when they first started the group. So she wasn't raised in polygamy, but she was polygamy through and through. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, she drank it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> uh, so you were 13 when you began to work in the group. Old, did you work in any other other group owned businesses after you worked for your in your dad's office? Um, so I worked there just a little bit as a kid, and then. I got my first job was at the store in Taylorsville and I another group owned store. Yeah, that was the the first actual job I had was working at and that store. And how old were you when you worked there? Start working um there. from 13 to 15. 15 years old. Yeah. Huh? And then I I'm I'm a fast learner. <laughs> so I I moved through different positions while I was there and then when I was 16 I worked in accounting. And from wow. and I did that. I, mm -hmm. I love doing it. I even got a scholarship to an accounting college, wow. which I didn't do. <laughs> and then I worked at the coal mine. I worked at the coal mine for seven years. Down in Huntington. Mm -hmm. What did you do at the coal mine? Um, I did some of the accounting. Um, first, it was a wait desk, though. But then I helped with some of the accounting, and then I became a draftsman, and then I became project manager and was in the engineering office. Wow. So, in all of these jobs, how did they pay you? 
Um, they pay us through the statements, the Kingston um, Bank statements. They don't give you payroll checks. They write payroll checks, but they deposit them for us. <laughs> Into their own account. Into their own account, yes. <laughs> okay, so you so they give you a statement, a monthly statement of how much money they deposited in their account for you. Yes. Okay. Did you have ready access to it? If you needed money, did you have ready access to your paycheck? You always had to go to the the office. The, the Kingston's have what they call the office, where you'd have to go to get any checks or any cash or to transfer money from one person to another so if you sold somebody something you could go and write out one of these these forms to have money from their account transferred to your account well your name it's yeah. all in one account it's yeah. your name that keeps you track just, of where it is exactly and and so you don't have access to it there's times after i left where i've had to help for christmas for my parents because they pay all their business taxes in november december and so a lot of times people can't get money for Christmas because mm -hmm. it's all tied up. Mm -hmm. And if you, they'll ask you, they'll kind of drill you a little bit. Like, why do you need this money? Like, like, why should we give it to you? <laughs> kind of like, it's and mine. It's, your money. it's mine. Right, right. <laughs> but you would have to tell them, okay, yeah, I'm paying my power bill. I need to go buy some clothes for my kids. And mm -hmm. then they'd say, why aren't you going to our store? But, <laughs> but, but yeah, you, you do have to, prove why you need it. You kind of get hounded about why you're taking money. One girl that I talked with that came out of the Kingston Group said that she, after she came out, she opened up a bank account in a, just a regular bank, and she needed to draw some money out of that account one time, and she was just stressed out on what she was going to tell the teller why she needed the money. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know what to say and all that. So, but she actually went to the teller and says, "I need this money. I need to do this." And the, and the teller said, "It's your money. You can take what you don't have to tell me what you're going to use it." Yeah. And it was just kind of so shocking to her. Wow, this is freedom, huh? Yeah, yeah freedom outside of their control. Yeah. Now, in the Kingston Polygamy Group, they have marriage classes that girls have to start at the age of eleven. Mm -hmm. uh, did you go to those marriage classes at eleven? I did. What did they teach? So at first they kind of teach you that you need to find the person you're supposed to marry and the steps along that route of who to find out who you're supposed to marry. They also teach you how to do laundry, how to cook, how to clean, and you know things to make sure your husband stays happy, but just everything that a, a 50s wife would do, basically. <laughs> did they talk about polygamy in those marriage classes? They did. And what did they, I mean, 11 is pretty young mm -hmm. for this kind of teaching. What did they tell them about polygamy at that point? Well, in the Kingston group, they're ones that teach to get to the highest kingdom of heaven. You have to have three wives. So if you're a first wife, you need to help your husband to be able to get those other wives. And if you're supposed to marry somebody that's already married, that the steps to know that that's the person you're supposed to marry. So you had to live that law to be able to, the law of plural marriage, polygamy, to get in the highest kingdom of heaven is what they taught us. When you were 11 and you were learning that, maybe you learned it before you went to those marriage classes, I don't know, but when you were learning that at that young, did you understand? I mean, you, you can't really fully understand what they're teaching you. You're so, you're still a kid. Well, you learn it from the first time you go to a Sunday school class or any time you go to church. So from being a baby, you're taught these things. So it was mm -hmm. normal. You know, it was, it was normal in the group. It was normal to think that that was okay. So um, what 
how young are the girls when they start grooming them for a certain man? And um, how does that work? 12, 13. Um, one of the reasons I left was um, we had someone that was over our family come and tell my husband that for him to get a second wife, he needed to start talking to him when they were 12 and 13. So that way, by the time they were 18, they knew that's who they were supposed to marry. So they don't marry underage girls anymore, but they have them all ready for marriage the moment that they're legal age? Yeah, the second wives, yeah. So how old were you when you when the, the next step in your life was marriage? So then when I actually got married, I was just over 18. So when you got engaged at 16 mm -hmm. to the guy who got engaged to somebody else when mm -hmm. at the same time and you yeah. didn't even know about it, you didn't marry him. I didn't marry him. But you him. married somebody else. How, who picked him? Did, did he pick you? Did you pick him? Did the leader pick him? How did that work? Well, I had several men come to me, you know, asking me to marry them. And, he, and they were all married men? And they were all married men, except for my, my ex. He was the first guy that came to me that had never had, I would have been, I was his first wife. Mm, okay. And so that was one of the reasons that I married him. And he also said that he didn't feel like he had to live that way to get into the highest kingdom of heaven, which now is from other girls that have left. I've heard that's the same line their, their husbands pulled on them. <laughs> but then after they're married, then that mm -hmm. line changes. Yeah. 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 So what about him? How was he? Uh, was he a good husband? Was he a good father? You had four kids with him. I did. Um, actually, two days after we got married, he brought me to the kitchen table. We sat down at the kitchen table, and he wrote down all the bills, all the bills that had to be paid, how much food was every month, and told me that I was to pay all the bills, and he was paying me $200 room and board. And once I had a kid, it went up by $100. He was paying you room and board. He was paying me $200 room and board, and I had to pay all the bills. And you had to pay all the bills. In other words, go get a job and get prepared. And that, that was to finance his getting a second he wife. He was saving the rest of his money to be able to have another family. I'm never surprised. I don't know why. And that's what I didn't know what to do. I was so shocked because my mom was a stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. My mom and my dad worked together on everything they did, which... Mm -hmm. You know, my mom coming in from the outside world, it's not normal in the polygamy right. families. That's right. <laughs> it's not. The The women work and take care of the family, and, and family. their husbands are busy trying to find another wife. <laughs> like, that's the norm in a polygamous cult. Where So I was very surprised that he told me before that he didn't feel like we need to live that way to get into the highest kingdom of heaven. And two days later, he sprung this on me. And I just really didn't know what to do about it. Wow. So what so did you do? Nothing. I, I, we did those classes, so I knew I needed to do what mm -hmm. my husband told me to because we're also taught the law of one above another. You have to do what you're told by the one over you. Well, if you don't, you. then you're in trouble and going to hell. Right. <laughs> they definitely taught us that. Right. So did he start courting other girls at that point? Do you know how he was? Um, after the first two weeks, there was one person he wanted to go talk to. And I did let him, but I also told him I had a dream that she was supposed to marry this other person. And she did end up marrying who I said she was going to wow. marry. <laughs> I guess coming out of that and being able to, you know, explore other religions and be able to feel free more about myself. I've always kind of been sensitive. My mom always mm -hmm. said I was strong with the mm -hmm. Holy, Holy Ghost. And mm -hmm. so 
I've kind of always known things. <laughs> so, so when um, when he finally did prepare to take that step, is that the straw that broke the camel's back for you? Is that when you decided I'm out of here? Well, he when was only ever married to me when I was with him. Um, what happened was I was praying really hard on the polygamy. I felt like it was wrong. And after praying for months, one day the thought popped in my head that said, God doesn't usually command the easy thing to do. You look out in the world and people cheat on each other all the time. Why would God command a husband to cheat on his wife? Because that, that's what it is. Exactly, that's what it is. And that's the thought that popped in my head and I was like, oh, okay, that's wrong. It's not okay to do. And I told him that I didn't want to live that way and he needed to stop pursuing people. And he told me that he could promise to stop for the rest of that year. And this was June. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, we'll take it one step at a time. Like, yeah, stop for the rest of this year, focus on our family. Let's be a family, take care of our kids. And we had four kids, four kids under the age of five. Oh my. <laughs> and he stopped for two weeks and then started pursuing a 12-year-old girl. Wow. Oh, my word. So, yeah. So you packed up your suitcase and left with your four kids. Um, he actually, when he, he, it was actually two months later that I left from him starting to pursue this 12-year-old girl. Mm. I started to feel disgusted towards him, started yeah. to feel like he was a pedophile. And I didn't sleep with him for a couple months. And I was his wife. He was to be able to do whatever he wants with me. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to sleep with me. And so he did. And I left a week later. So he forced you. He did. He raped you. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that would be the straw. That mm -hmm. certainly would. And then, of course, you knew that the future held polygamy anyway, yeah. regardless of what he had said. And we only have a couple of minutes left in this set. We're going to do a, a second part on this because there's so much to talk about but uh, you've had uh, recently wrote a letter to the Utah Bar Association about mm -hmm. polygamists who are, are um, attorneys in okay. the Utah Bar one of the reasons is because your father or your your children's father keeps dragging you into court and is facilitated by the Kingston's money Correct. and there's so many of them that really are attorneys yep so that he's, do you have any court cases right now? We've only got a couple of minutes. I have one going pending. Right now. I just need, they, we just need a date set by the courts and then we'll be going to a contempt of court hearing that he's pulling me into trying to say that I should well, be held in contempt of court, which he's done before yeah. and I've never been held in contempt. You, you've always won each, each court battle. Okay. Um, so is it, uh, mainly for custody, that he wants custody of the four kids? Well, contempt of court can't change that, but he's trying to say I'm not doing things like I should. And, so that he yeah. can eventually get the custody of I the kids? I think so. Yeah. That's what he's going for. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you, Melissa. We've got a lot to cover in our second interview, too. And so we ask you to watch next time as we do part two of our interview with Melissa. And we're going to talk more about the letter that she wrote to the Utah Bar and complaining about uh, polygamist attorneys, because that is against uh, the oath of the attorneys that to live polygamy, and a few other activism um, things that Melissa is involved in that will help people who want to escape polygamy and after they get out. So thanks a lot, and watch us next time on Polygamy, What Love Is This?
This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.